It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 853 for the 13th of October, 2023. This week, Adobe didn't wait for the annual Max conference to roll out some of the new features for Photoshop and other apps. Generative Fill and Generative Expand are still resolution limited, but they are already surprisingly useful. In short circuits, printers have long been the bane of IT support, and Microsoft has plans to make printers a bit less vexing. Manufacturers will need to work with a universal printer subsystem instead of writing drivers for their devices. If your browser and any other application that can display WebP graphics are up to date, you're safe from a nasty flaw. If not, now would be a very good time to update them. And 20 years ago, only on the website, it's not unheard of for Windows computers to run months between restarts these days, but it wasn't common in 2003. And I was somewhat jealous of a Linux system that had been up for more than seven months. Adobe Max, the company's big annual event, opened on the 10th of October. Normally, that is the day that all of the major applications are updated. Not this year, though. Photoshop users were able to update to version 25 on the 14th of September, nearly a month early. The objective, clearly, was to get the latest artificial intelligence features in the hands of users. So, for a few days, the release version of Photoshop and the public beta version of Photoshop were identical. The beta version has since moved on, and those who signed up for the beta will have version 25.1, or something even later than that, by now. Generative Fill and Generative Expand are the two blockbuster features. They are, of course, not perfect, and there are some limitations, but you can expect results that are simply amazing. Generative Fill is the great-great-granddaughter of Content-Aware Fill, and she can do things her grandmother never dreamed about. Generative Fill sounds a lot like Generative Expand. They are similar but how they operate is what differentiates them. Generative fill involves selecting something and replacing it with something else. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, I illustrate that with a photo from the 2009 Ohio State Fair. The image was captured with a Nikon D100 camera in RAW mode. It is important to understand that RAW mode images will appear flat, Shooting in RAW mode means that you have already committed yourself to doing additional work. I think of it as creating a print in a darkroom after developing the film. So the image I started with used technology from 14 years ago. The image is dark, the colors are undersaturated. Also, more than a dozen electrical wires make a mess of the sky. I prefer using Lightroom to fix the exposure and saturation issues and to make a sign that you'll see in the lower left corner of the image readable. But Generative Fill is what takes care of the power lines. Generative Fill eliminated most of the power lines, but if you look closely, you will see that I left a few power line remnants inside the Ferris wheel. 
I figured that was okay. Probably nobody would notice them, and getting rid of them was just more than I wanted to do. The fine detail in the Ferris wheel required manual cloning to remove the most objectionable power lines, even though generative fill easily took care of the lines in the sky. I also used generative fill to create an operating room background behind the count for an image I posted to Facebook on the 6th of October. That was the date that I had emergency spinal surgery a year ago. Since then, I've been learning how to walk again and waiting for damaged nerves to improve. I wanted to use the count, but he was holding up two fingers and I needed just one. That was an easy fix, although I could have done a better job by replacing his middle finger in a folded position. By the way, have you ever noticed that cartoon characters have only three fingers and a thumb? But what I really needed with this image was a background that looked like an operating room. So I selected the background and told Photoshop to create a hospital operating room. Once I had that, all I had to do was apply a bit of Gaussian blur to make it, obviously, a background image. Grater's Ice Cream gifted me an ice cream sundae for my birthday in September, and Phyllis took a picture of me preparing to enjoy. She omitted the top of my head, so I had Photoshop fix that, and then I wondered what I'd look like if I still had hair. I chose black hair and a black beard. I never had either of those. And then I fixed the mustache. Check out these images on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. Adobe says generative fill and generative expand are designed to be safe for commercial use because Firefly has been trained on Adobe Stock's hundreds of millions of high-resolution images. In other words, Adobe has the appropriate rights to use the stock images to create new images. So let's take a look at generative expand. Perhaps I have a vertical image, a portrait image, of a mule, but I need a horizontal or landscape image. Well, as it turns out, I had this very need. I liked the image of the mule, but I needed an image that was wide, not tall. After loading the image, I dragged the crop marker to the left and told Photoshop to generate the rest of the image. One of the suggestions had a pond, the second didn't, the third had an office tower in the distance office tower. No. Uh, I could have requested three more options, or even six more options, but I like the one with the pond, so that's the one I used, and it's the one you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So, maybe you're wondering about upgrading. Well, those who have enrolled in the Adobe Creative Cloud have few options. Unless you turn off updating, you will receive these features soon. I know people who still use Photoshop Creative Suite 6, and they do that because that was the last version for which they could obtain a perpetual license. Now, that's fine for those who don't need or don't want the latest features. In the ancient days, when I was a professional photographer, I gladly accepted new technology. Auto-exposure let the camera make choices, except for those times when I knew the camera's decision would be wrong, and I stepped in to fix things manually. Likewise, autofocus. There's almost never a time when the camera will get that wrong as long as you know how to operate the camera. But I still depend on bringing home raw images most of the time that I can modify with applications like Adobe Lightroom, Lightroom Classic, and Photoshop. So see what's new from Adobe's photography applications on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. 
If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, computers would be easy to manage if printers didn't exist. That's a statement that's heard not infrequently in IT departments. The problem is usually the driver, software from the printer manufacturer that is supposed to make it possible for the printer to work. There's a well-known cartoon that addresses this issue. It depicts a fairy tale book about a printer that simply worked. Far too often, the printer doesn't work, and the problem is almost always a buggy driver. Printer manufacturers write the drivers, but something as simple as an operating system upgrade can orphan a printer if the manufacturer fails to create new drivers for older printers. And the manufacturers have no real desire to spend money on updating drivers for old printers because they'd really prefer that users buy new printers. So, Microsoft plans to fix this by making it difficult for manufacturers to deploy legacy printer drivers. Windows will stop downloading and installing drivers when users attach new printers. Instead, printers will need to be compatible with universal standards dictated by Microsoft. But, of course, there will be exceptions. Manufacturers can still create drivers that add functionality, as long as the drivers conform to the universal standard. Or printer manufacturers can continue to provide traditional printer drivers that won't be installed automatically. The user will have to download and install those old-style drivers manually. And don't expect this to happen quickly. In 2025, new and updated printer drivers will no longer be included in Windows updates, but existing drivers will still be updated. A year later, driver ranking will be modified to give preference to the unified system, the new system of drivers. And then in 2027, no printer driver updates will be allowed other than those that address security issues. And by the way, all dates are subject to change without notice. You can read a more detailed summary on Microsoft's website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If your browser is up to date, here's something that shouldn't really concern you. However, if you've turned off your browser's automatic update function and you haven't run an update since mid-September or earlier, you need to do that right now. The problem I'm about to describe affects more than just browsers, though. A component known as the WebP codec introduced a security issue into browsers based on Chrome, and that is just about every browser other than Firefox. But Firefox uses the WebP codec too, 
so it's affected. So do a lot of Android and open source applications, such as 1Password, Affinity, FFmpeg, GIMP, Inkscape, LibreOffice, Telegram, Thunderbird, and more. That means Windows, Mac OS, Android, and Linux systems were vulnerable. Most of the browsers and apps have already been patched, and automatic updates will have installed the patches if you've enabled automatic updates. Systems that haven't been patched are still vulnerable to what is being described as a severe threat. Red Hat lists it as 9.6 on their 10-point scale. It's described as a heap buffer overflow, which essentially involves trying to place more data in a space that's too small to hold it. There is some good news, though. Although the threat is extreme, you are unlikely to be affected. That's because exploiting the flaw requires more knowledge than the typical script kitty possesses. So it's not something that'll be used against low-value targets. And like it or not, most of us are low-value targets. WebP is a relatively new image format developed by Google to provide both lossless and lossy compression for images. It offers substantial size and speed advantages over older formats such as PNG and JPEG. Mozilla was one of the fastest organizations to patch the flaw, and if you'd like, you can read their summary on the Mozilla Security website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. No security updates are needed for 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In 2003, it was still a good idea to restart Windows computers at least once a day. But Linux systems could run for months without being rebooted. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>